too. Coronavirus. We ain't finna do shit with this coronavirus. I ain't finna take a trip with this coronavirus. Move. You got coronavirus. Ooh, shit. You got coronavirus. We ain't finna do shit with this coronavirus. I ain't finna take a trip with this coronavirus. This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore. Welcome, everyone. A new report by the World Health Organization has confirmed what we should already know. Maybe some of you have seen this coming. But COVID cases, once again, are on the rise. And I mean a sharp rise in the last couple of weeks. We are still in the middle of this pandemic. And we have a long ways to go to get out of it. Those of you who have been following me and listening to this podcast for the last year or so, when we began just before COVID hit, And in the days and weeks after COVID, I started talking about this and even before the lockdown, and we had different scientists, doctors, etc. I talked to them. A couple of them came on this podcast. I remember Dr. Zeke Emanuel, who was a top doctor at one point at the NIH, saying that this is actually going to be a three to four year pandemic. And I was like, what? And he said, no, this is going to be a three to four year pandemic. This is a virus we haven't seen. And, you know, we've seen things similar maybe, but not this. And I remember thinking at the time, well, I'm glad he said it because I hadn't heard anybody say that. But I thought, man, he's going to be in trouble. Nonetheless, talking here last night uh, to some family about, do you realize that as crazy as that might have sounded a year and uh, what, four months ago, five months ago, that we are only five months away. The first COVID case was, that was known that we knew about in December of 19, we're only five months away from that. Let me put it this way. We're five months away from entering year three of the pandemic. I know, Mike, wait, it can't be that. It hasn't been that long, has it? I'll just do the math. All right, December of 19 to December of 20, there's year one. December 20 to December of 21, which is coming up, that's the end of year two, and that means year three starts. I have been saying on this podcast for some time that the more we stick our heads in the sand on this, because we just want to hear good news, we want to get the kids back to school, all these things, we're just sick and tired of wearing masks, all this stuff uh, is going to be our undoing. Uh, because we're uncomfortable, we're unhappy, and therefore I want to be happy, and I, I want to be at the ballpark, and I want to be at the beach, and I want to I be out with human beings. That's all very understandable, uh, and I feel the same way that all of you feel. And yet, if we're still in the middle of this, we hear about these new variants, we say to ourselves, oh, that's in India. We're safe. We're okay here because we got vaccines and we've been doing the right thing and all this. Or that's in Brazil. But this started because that's in, well, that's in Wuhan. I, I mean, I'm fairly well read. I'd never heard of the city of Wuhan. It's got a population that's like 50, 50 to 70% larger than New York City. I never heard of it. How did it get from Wuhan? To where I live in northern Michigan, in a rural area of northern, how are people getting COVID? We've looked at this the wrong way, and we have this sort of American exceptionalism that thinks that we've got some kind of Game of Thrones, you know, a wall around us protecting us. Ignorance, ignorance historically leads to one's end. And and intelligence and information and science that leads us to a better place. So I will continue to be an advocate for this. And uh, we we scrapped what we were going to do on today's podcast because I want to dive right into this without fear and talk about what we may be in the middle of and what may be coming uh, at us like a Mack truck just months down the road. And I want to talk about our 
American way of looking at this and not understanding how what happens to the rest of the world happens to us and what happens to us happens to the rest of the world. And to divorce ourselves from that is, is maybe our biggest crime because we are only causing and will cause more death, not, not just here, but around the world. And, um, and there has been one person uh, amongst a few others, and I've had them here on the podcast, these wonderful doctors, one person who's been trying to tell us something and and it and it's about our connection to the world and it's about what we need to do in terms of getting people vaccinated and fighting the forces that are out there that have convinced way too many millions of americans not to get vaccinated so this new report um, from the world health organization and the increases over the last couple of weeks we now have nearly a half a million new cases that have been reported each day in the last seven days, ending on July 18th. And it's because of this rise of the Delta variant, and it's now spread to 124 countries. In addition to the Delta variant, we're also dealing with the global pandemic of misinformation, disinformation about vaccines and about everything else related to public health. And as businesses have now opened up this summer and schools are planning to open up in a few weeks, the months ahead may get very ugly and sadly, very deadly. Do not turn off this podcast, my friends. You need to hear what we're going to talk about. One of the few people fighting this pandemic of of misinformation. We have many great doctors and scientists fighting the pandemic, but we have a few who are also fighting the pandemic of misinformation. And that is our guest here today on Rumble, Dr. Peter Hotez. He is the co-director of the Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's Hospital. And he is the dean of the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine. His latest book is Preventing the Next Pandemic, Vaccine Diplomacy in a Time of Anti-Science. I'm very pleased to welcome him to Rumble for the first time. Welcome, Dr. Hotez. That was a very kind introduction, Michael. Thank you so much. Well, you are working on this on so many levels. Uh, first of all, the vaccine center that you and the other doctors are working on. There's this great piece in Texas Monthly here uh, this past month about what you guys are doing to create a uh, vaccine that uh, can especially get to the third to third world countries uh, that um, uh, is is not uh, uber expensive and um, and you you all seem to have from my reading of this this sort of Jonas Salk approach to you are not doing this uh, to become multimillionaires uh, you are doing this to save lives so you're right I'm a vaccine scientist and and co-head the Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's with my science partner for the last 20 years, Mary Elena Batazzi. And I've devoted my, got my MD and PhD in New York in the 80s to develop vaccines for parasitic infections of the poor. But around 10 years ago, we adopted a coronavirus vaccine program because nobody cared about coronavirus vaccines back then. And, and we started developing vaccines for SARS and MERS and and now COVID-19. So we've developed what we think is going to be one of the first low-cost people's vaccine for COVID-19. And we did not file patents. We put everything out in the public domain. We've licensed it now to India, to Indonesia, we're in South Africa. And, and the hope is that it'll fill the gap because, you know, everybody's so focused on innovation that nobody really cared about developing a durable vaccine that could it would actually be widely distributed in in on the African continent where no one's being vaccinated right now or South America or or Southeast Asia so that's very exciting what you and Dr. Botazzi have done um in terms of here you are I, I got to be honest I didn't even I didn't even know that you were working on this you and her and your other partners there and that you're that that that's gone through a number of trials already in other countries. Um, uh, the efficacy rate so far, what they found is around eighty-five percent. And um, 
you know, that's right up there with, you know, next to Pfizer and Moderna. And you've done this. And, and then you said you're not going to file for a patent. That you want to get this out there to people. That no one in Africa is getting vaccinated. India is having a horrible problem. Other poor countries. I just, I'm sorry to interrupt. And I want you to go back to what you were saying. But I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for doing it for all the right reasons. No judgment against anybody who's doing it for the wrong reasons. Because if you've done it and you've saved lives, I kind of don't care at the moment. Uh, but, 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 I, but I do want to point out that there are people like you and others there at Baylor and, and elsewhere there and, uh, who you're working around the clock to try and save lives in countries where they don't have the money to save lives. And not only is that righteous for those for you doing that for those countries but for americans who need to hear this um it helps us too because there's no such thing as uh, borderlines countries borders with a pandemic and if we don't have that through our thick skulls right now we are never going to get rid of this that we are all connected on this planet to this Thank you. We're going to continually be besieged by variants. I mean, one of the reasons, although the practical reason we don't file patents is it's expensive as hell, and and we're you know a nonprofit doing this in an academic health center. So if I have a hundred thousand dollars, I'd rather hire a, a top scientist rather than you know waste money filing foreign patent filing fees. And and so we've one of the things that we're trying to explore is there's no roadmap here because we're making the vaccines nobody else will make. And what does that mean when you say that? Well, you know, we, for instance, we have a vaccine for Chagas disease, which uh, is a disease of the world of the six, seven poor, six, seven million poorest people in Latin America or schistosomiasis, female genital schistosomiasis is a disease of 40 million girls and women who live in extreme poverty in Africa. No one else will make that vaccine. So we're trying to pioneer this concept, not only the science, which is really cool and interesting, but also see if there's a sustainable business model out there um, that can allow you to make and develop these vaccines. And I think for me, that's one of the hardest parts is is trying to, you know, raise the funding and, and, and pioneer that model. I, when I'm, you know, I'm often, after I give a lecture pre-pandemic, I'd be have a little line of young people come up to me saying they want to go into global health and they'd often be profoundly disappointed when I told them, told them to get an MBA and help us figure out what the sustainable finance model is. And, <laughs> and I think there's one out there. I, we, that's the part I haven't, don't have the skill set to figure out yet, but we've done pretty well. We've gotten a lot of vaccines at the clinical trials from discovery. And now this COVID vaccine, we hope will be released for emergency use authorization what is um, what is the name uh, of this your vaccine that you have been working on the COVID? Well, vaccine? you know, it, it's for us it's just a Texas Children's vaccine, but the one what we licensed to Biological E, which is one of the big vaccine producers in India, they're like Serum Institute. They call it Corbevax, C O R B E V A X, and we'll see what Indonesia calls it. And and one of the frustrations I've had with the Biden administration is, you know, they really have not take taken ownership of this issue you know they they're willing to donate 200 million doses of pfizer biotech vaccine this year and 60 million of astrazeneca and they've done some patent waivers which maybe in the long term will have some impact but you know let's look at the scope of this you have a billion people in sub-saharan africa 650 million people in latin america another half a billion people in the poor, lo poorest, low-income countries of Southeast Asia, that's you know three billion, two to three billion people. We need six billion doses of vaccines, and that's the problem. Nobody's stepping up and having this frank accounting and discussion with the American people or people globally, saying, "Hey, we need six billion doses of COVID vaccine, and we need it now. We can't wait till next year." The Delta variant is accelerating throughout. The, the global south throughout the southern hemisphere and here we are we have this vaccine that's you know we think we can do for dollar dollar fifty a dose the least expensive it looks really promising there's no end to what you can make because it's a recombinant protein vaccine expressed in yeast the same technology used to make the hepatitis b vaccine that's used and made all over the world mm. you know make it you know i want 
the Biden administration to say, you know what, um, this, you know, all of our early research was done with NIH funding. I said, you know, take ownership of this and find a big vaccine producer and make 5 billion doses of it and stop with the, you know, piddling donations and the, you know, nobody wants to own this thing yet. I, I just can't understand it. And, and, you know, this is a hundred trillion dollar economy and, you know, we're sitting there like, you know, around the lunch table bickering about who's going to pay for the turkey club and who's going to pay for the salad de soise. It's, it's, you know, it's crazy. And if anybody from the administration is listening to this podcast, uh, they should know that they do not have to pay a trillion dollars or whatever to Texas Children's Hospital in order to get this vaccine and get it around the world. That's right. Not, you know, it's yours. You know, it's like, it's like that old Jerry Rubin uh, book, steal this book, you know, just, yeah. just, just take it, you know. <laughs> steal, steal this uh, children's hospital vaccine. Actually, I lied. No, I think there is a $10,000 licensing fee that what? charges or something. What like did you say? $10,000 to just steal the vaccine and send it around the world? I'm not sure about that number, but I'll know. <laughs> But it won't break. It won't break the bank. I guarantee. It won't break the bank, right? You know. But then the other hat that I wear is, um, I have four adult kids, and my youngest daughter Rachel has autism and intellectual disabilities. And if you remember, the anti-vaccine movement started claiming that vaccines caused autism, and right. so, which is nonsense. So a few years ago, I wrote a book with because I like to write books when I can, and it's called "Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism." And that made me public enemy number one with the anti-vaccine movement. They they call me the OG villain, which I had to look up. It means original gangster <laughs> villain. Right. And um, and so I've been fighting anti-vaccine disinformation for as long as anybody. And and you know it was really interesting when I started going on uh, the cable news networks last year talking about COVID nineteen. You know I watched this thing unfold in the Trump administration when he was saying, you know the 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 deaths are due to other causes and the hospital admissions are due to catch up elective surgeries and you don't need masks and hydroxychloroquine. And I was saying, you know, I've seen this before. I know what this is. This is an anti-science disinformation campaign. Um, and I'm the world's expert, one of the world's experts and not because I'm so brilliant, but because I, you know, by default, I've had to go up against it. So I, so I remember having this conversation with Anne, my wife, I said, you know, as scientists, you know, we're not supposed to talk about Democrats and Republicans and conservatives and liberals. And, you know, she looked at me, she said, you know, you don't want to be, you know, a year from now realizing all these people have lost their lives from COVID and, and not doing all you can to save lives. You have to say it. And, and I did. And, and it was a very scary, dark place last year, because at that time, I didn't have any of the backing of the scientific societies and I was just out there alone throwing darts at the White House saying this is an anti-science disinformation campaign. And eventually people came around, but it was a very scary place for me to be. And, and, and then, you know, this, the, the, uh, then the anti-vaccine movement, which was focused around autism, sort of adopted this or mutually adopted it. Yeah. Um, you know, under this banner of health freedom, this fake banner of health freedom, medical freedom, you know, the protests against masks and social distancing from the far right then adopted an anti-vaccine platform. And, you know, that's what I'm up against now is dealing with this aggression from uh, the far right. And again, it's not fun to talk about because, you know, we're not supposed to talk about Republicans and Democrats. And But, I, you know, it's not that I'm politicizing it, that, you know, the bad guys are politicizing it. And I'm trying to de-link the anti-science from this kind of extremism and again it's you see i mean if you see the stuff people lob at me on twitter i get the emails you know that an yeah. army of patriots is going to come hunt me down and okay. you know, my first response is well why need an army of patriots it's just me and ann and rachel <laughs> and the cat now i mean i would think one patriots more than enough maybe two patriots but i don't know why you need a whole okay army but, of patriots. i'm so sorry you have to go through this because i can yeah. tell you as one who's had to deal with this kind of craziness for almost 30 years now and it's it's not pleasant but you get you realize after a while that um it it it's just a lot of noise and first rule is never read any of the comments on twitter 
Well, one of the things I do on Twitter, though, is I, I try to now educate people what the anti-science movement's about. And so sometimes I'll retweet and use it as, an edu- as a teachable yes. moment to kind of yes. explain it. Well, that's important then. But the other piece that's gotten very sinister also is it's not just targeting vaccines and science. Now it's actively working to discredit scientists, you know, prominent mm-hmm. U.S. scientists. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, you saw Rand Paul going after Tony, right, who yes. have worked with for, for, for decades, and and they go after me. I mean, I had Laura Ingram and um, Governor DeSantis of Florida start attacking me on Fox News, and I'm like, you know, I'm not even from Florida. I've got nothing to do with Florida. And and this is, here. here what I think is going on is, you know, when you look, you know, what, why this attack on science and scientists? And when you read the history of what Stalin did in the 30s, and, and, and there's this wonderful paper I found, article from Foreign Affairs in 1941 called Science and the Totalitarian State. And this is what they do. This is the modus operandi of authoritarian regimes. You, you mm. discredit science and scientists. You want to delegitimize them as a way of gaining control or power. And I think something like that's going on. What was this paper called? Science in the Totalitarian State? Science in the Totalitarian State. It was written by a science writer, a very prominent science writer for the New York Times back then, 1941, you know, right on the on the eve of um, U.S. joining World War II and talks about, you know, goes through what Stalin did. And Could you send me a copy of that? Because I would love to post it. Okay. Yeah, so now I'm kind of writing the, the update. So I'm, I have a paper out in the Public Library of Science called plus, uh, plus biology you know that really does a deep dive into that and and what um what this means in the modern context of authoritarian regimes i read i read ann applebaum's book which i really liked about authoritarian regimes and that that also gave me a lot of ideas on, for the paper let me just ask you some questions here um that are i think at the forefront of people's minds this week can, can first of all can you tell us people listening to this very clearly what is on the horizon coronavirus wise um what are or what might we be facing here in the upcoming months yeah well if you're i think you know this virus is going to pick off a lot of unvaccinated individuals and i think the death rate won't be as high because a lot of we've done better with older americans but i think you got a lot of young people young adults adolescents we're looking at hospitalizations and potentially long COVID. And, you know, again, this is part of the disinformation campaign from the far right. They say, um, um, if you're young and healthy and go to the gym, don't worry, COVID death rates are really low. But what they don't tell you is you can still need an ICU admission and neurologic complications from long haul COVID. So I think, you know, if you look at vaccination rates and where I am, you know, in Louisiana, Mississippi, fewer than 15, 20% of adolescents are vaccinated, um, 30, 40% of young adults. So this virus is going to race through that. Right. And plus you have governors in the red states, you know, filing legislation, executive order saying no mask mandates in school. So between Delta being twice as transmissible as any other variant we've seen before, no one being vaccinated, no masks. I mean, t- tell me what you think's going to go well here, right? I mean, so, so I'm really quite concerned about um, that. The fall, you know, and here in the, here in the South, a lot of school systems start in August, so I, I don't see how that's going to go well. Um, I think in the Northeast or Michael, where you are up in Michigan, things will be better because a higher, much higher percentage are vaccinated, and that has the dual benefit. One, if you're vaccinated you're not going to go to the hospital or get very sick most likely. And and if enough people are vaccinated, that slows transmission. So I think, you know, we'll see this kind of duality of COVID of a North South divide um, to some extent. Um, I think that's probably what we're looking at. You know, I I have to tell you, I I don't take any pleasure in thinking, Oh, well it's hitting the red States. So bon voyage, you know, that's not how I feel. I want them to live. And I, just, I think, oh, well, I'm, you know, I've been here, in Texas, almost 11 years. Right. And, you know, the people here in Houston are, you know, the kindest, nicest yes. people you'd ever Correct. want to meet. I mean, except when they get on I-45 or I-10. Yeah. But other than that, I think it's one of the first big cities that elected a lesbian as mayor of the city. So if you're thinking Texas, 
Texas is a very, very diverse uh, state. And yeah, I mean, Houston, um, Sylvester Turner's our mayor, African-American, mm-hmm. Harvard Law yep. graduate. Our county judge, you know, we have the sort of dual system. Lena Hidalgo uh, from Columbia, 30 years old, mm. a Stanford grad. I mean, just we've got a coolness factor in Houston. Right. That's, you know, so in P- and, and that's sort of fun when I'm doing the cable news things because, you know, the the portrayal of Texas is sort of unidimensional that it all all right right wing nuts but in fact one of the reasons i came to texas was because of the science and being in the texas medical center the world's largest medical center and we got a lot of texas philanthropy when other organizations let us down you know the clayberg foundation and tito's vodka came through for us based in austin mm-hmm. and and the jpp foundation in new york and the dunn foundation in texas you know those guys came through for us and allowed us to develop that prototype covid vaccine so there's a there's there's some great stuff going down here when people hear the unvaccinated they shouldn't just be thinking oh that's just those yahoos in arkansas or that's the cast of the deliverance so it doesn't affect me when i hear unvaccinated i think children that's the majority we've got from babies to 12 years old they are unvaccinated so to me it seems they are the most in danger if this variant explodes am i right or wrong that's, about that that I, oh, I absolutely agree. This is a huge issue, and we're already seeing pediatric intensive care unit hospitalization start where transmission goes unchecked because no one's vaccinated. And I think what's happening is, you know, basically this virus, which is now there's a, a, a early unpublished study out of southern China and Guangdong province that shows that this virus is replicating at a thousand times more the level than previous variants. So I think people are just shedding so much virus. It's everyone. Wow. It's not that kids are being selectively infected. I just think it's anyone who's unvaccinated is getting infected, and kids are getting swept up in that. And and that's why I was so, you know, strident about trying to get everybody vaccinated this year. And because you know there's vulnerable populations, and this is our best hope. Are you, so you are worried about children going back to school? If we have this, if we're if we are starting or in the middle of this fourth surge, I'm less concerned. If you're talking about schools in Vermont and New ha- and Massachusetts, where almost all of the adults and adolescents are vaccinated, than I am in Louisiana or Mississippi, where none of the adults and adolescents are vaccinated. Now, I'm a little exaggerating, of course, but you get the idea. So, um, so right. we're we're going to see very very different flavor and character of the epidemic depending on where you are geographically. Those of us who are vaccinated, uh, so I got the Pfizer one double dose and all that, what kind of danger uh, am I in as this Delta variant uh, increases? Well, we are seeing breakthrough cases because there's so much virus replication, but it looks as though if you're vaccinated, you're not getting very sick and you're not going to the hospital and you're not losing your lives. So life, so it's almost ninety nine point five percent of the deaths are in unvaccinated uh, individuals. So it's based almost all unvaccinated individuals will be hospitalized and get sick. The problem, Michael, is this: um, what you know the when the vaccines were approved, you know, for emergency use uh, at the end of last year, they originally thought of to stop symptomatic illness. And then there were some exciting studies out of Israel and elsewhere that showed, hey, it's doing something else. It's actually halting virus shedding from your nose and mouth and stopping asymptomatic infection so that the virus-neutralizing antibodies you're getting into your mucous membranes, your nose and mouth, and stopping virus shedding so that we can also, so that if you're vaccinated, you don't need to be tested anymore you, because even if you're PCR positive, you're not going to transmit virus to anybody. That so that's what really you mean exciting. by virus shedding. Virus shedding yeah. means that I'm fully vaccinated, but somehow I, I get this COVID variant. Um, the I, There's less of a chance now than there was before of me infecting somebody else. That's right, Ninety more than 90% reduction. So that means that if you're vaccinated, you're, even if you get COVID, you know, even if you contract the infection, you'll be asymptomatic and you're not going to pass it to your kids. And that was... And that's the reason why CDC came out with all these guidance. Now, if you're vaccinated, 
it's a get out of jail free card, right? You don't have to worry about wearing masks indoors or anything else. Now with Delta, I'm not so sure because based, you know, if that study out of China gets reproduced and people really are having, you know, a thousand times more virus load and you're vaccinated and it's reduced, it may not be enough to stop virus shedding. So that's the piece where we may have to alter guidance again. And, and you can see that's not a 30-second UNICEF commercial, right? It takes time to explain. Right. And, right. and that's, that's what the American people often, I think they tolerate complexity pretty well, but the CDC likes to simplify messages. So then the question is, what can you do about it? You know, one possibility is if you do give a third immunization of the mRNA vaccine, it'll jack up the virus neutralizing antibody even more. So then you will stop virus shedding. So these are all the kinds of discussions that I think are going on between FDA and CDC and Office of the Surgeon General. When some people hear that it's you know it's ninety percent only ninety percent chance that you will not give this to somebody else. Sometimes when you hear that and you say, "Hmm," so that means there's a ten percent chance. And now it's going to be more because of the Delta. So yeah, you know, back when I was in my days when I was playing Russian roulette. Um, no, I'm kidding. But there, if there's 10 chambers in the gun and they put one bullet in it and you spin it around, who listening to this right now would put that gun to their head? I mean, nine chambers are empty. One has the bullet. It, it's still, to me, it's why I still, if I'm inside a place with you know people, people I don't know, I don't know if they're vaccinated or not, I wear the mask because um, I want to reduce it. Right, and now with Delta, you you have to more than ever because there's just going to be a lot of virus around. And again, it's going to be more urgent for you to do that where I live, where nobody's vaccinated in the South compared to where you are, where many more people are vaccinated. So there's probably less of a risk. I'm in I'm in New York right now, and I and I've watched the you know the, we really went down from this was a death colony a year ago, and um, uh, people I got the the last it looks like almost five million. It's a city of 8 million people and almost 5 million, which would mean that's most of the adult population has been uh, vaccinated. I don't like it, though, when they say this, uh, but but uh, but 70% or 80% have had at least one dose. Well, one dose isn't, don't say that. They've got to get the second dose if they're on a two-dose. Am I wrong to say that to people? To Yeah, especially, especially for Delta. We have some data now saying a single dose won't cut it. You need both doses you need, because both doses will give you that really high level of virus neutralizing antibody. You know, these are people to be pitied in some ways yeah. because they're victims. They're victims of the disinformation and from from what I call the triple-headed monster. You know, we've talked about one so far, which is the, what is that? The you know the three arms. I have an article I wrote in the Daily Beast last week. You know that uses the metaphor of the Ghidra, the triple-headed monster um, uh, responsible for the disinformation. And Daily Beast Graphics did a great picture, and which I love. looks like a 70s album cover. <laughs> um, but but, what, they, um, but what, the th- what are the three arms? So the biggest one is, is the far right. Um, or not even the far right anymore, it's becoming more mainstream across the GOP. It's, you know, if you listen to that CPAC conference or or what's on Fox News or Newsmax, this aggression against vaccines, that's probably the biggest cause of damage right now, why vaccination rates are so low in the deep red states. But there's two other pieces. The other one is um, the Putin government, the Russian government, which for the last few years has been lobbying this whole program, what's called weaponized health communication um, uh, against the United States and using vaccines as a wedge issue. But then the third um, is, is the, the non-governmental organizations that promote anti-vaccine disinformation. And now the Center for Countering Digital Hate, it's amazing we have to have an organization called the Center for Countering Digital Hate, has identified the top 12 based on their internet analysis um, that's responsible for about 65% of that disinformation. Mm-hmm. So so those are the three heads. And, and you know, I think the Surgeon General was one of the first Surgeon Generals to call attention to misinformation because in the past when I've brought this up, you know, the stuff coming out of HHS was always, Peter, you know, we're not talking about this right now because it'll give it oxygen. And 
I'd say, really? I mean, it's got all the oxygen it needs. So at least they're recognizing it. But I think they're very much focused on the social media companies, especially Facebook and um, and the disinformation dozen, uh, as the Center for Counter Digital Hate does. They 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 didn't want to seem to address the far right aggression, which I think is dominant right now in in Russia. Um, Maybe that was just too scary for them, but we're going to have to deal with this at some point. Their vehicles are the social media companies, but also Amazon. People are often surprised at that. You know, you can do this exercise at home if you go to Amazon.com, put books up at the top, click right, and you'll get the scroll-down menu at the left. That includes health, fitness, and dieting. You click on that, you get to the books on vaccinations, all fake anti-vaccine books. So Amazon is the leading promoter of, probably one of the leading promoters of fake anti-vaccine disinformation. I mean, my book, my books are among the highest ranked pro-vaccine books on Amazon. I think overall they're ranked about 20 or 25 because of all the garbage ahead of it. So so how do we take on this this disinformation? Uh, what, what do you propose? I mean, how do we shut this down? Well, you know, the Center for Countering Digital Hate for the top 12 is proposed deplatforming them off of social media. You know, I think someone's got to have a conversation with Amazon about taking down this kind of garbage. And then I get accused of, you know, what the anti-vaxxers do. They call it, they accuse me of book burning. And I say, look, um, you know, Amazon's a bookstore. And, and you know, we go into any good bookstore, the proprietor makes decisions about what they put out, what they don't. It's not, it's a private organization. And then, you know, how you deal though with, with Putin and the Russian government and how to deal with the far right extremism, what I've recommended in this Daily Beast piece is to say, look, as, as health experts or scientists, we don't know how to deal with this. It's not our expertise. And we have to stop asking Department of Health and Human Services to take the lead on it. We need to bring in expertise for people who do things like fight global terrorism or nuclear proliferation or cyber attacks because it's reached that level. You know, the, you know, more Americans are dying of anti-science than they are any of those things right now. The reason 600,000 Americans lost, have lost their lives and are continuing to lose their lives is partly because of the SARS coronavirus type 2, but it's also due to defiance, defiance against masks and social distancing and now vaccines. And we have to recognize anti-science is a monster and it's a killer. Hold that thought for just one second, because I need to give a shout out here to our great underwriter of tonight's uh, episode, Gabby. Uh, Gabby, uh, it's G-A-B-I, is not an insurance company. Uh, Gabby is here to help save you from giving too much of your money to insurance companies. I'm talking about auto insurance and, and homeowners insurance. And you know what Gabby means? It means get a better insurance. Gabby is a free service and it's easy to use. You enter your current insurance information to get started. And in just a few minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. Gabby gives you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. People write and they say, I saved $700, I've saved $800, I've saved $900. Some people have written to say, hey, I'm glad I, I took the, the test there with Gabby because I found out I'm actually paying the right amount at, at my insurance company. And you get to learn that too. But you have a good chance of saving some money here by just letting Gabby find out if what you're paying now is right or if it's wrong. So this is a totally free service and there's no obligation. So go to Gabby.com slash Rumble. That's G-A-B-I, Gabby, G-A-B-I dot com slash Rumble. I'm going, I have a couple of theaters in Michigan, movie theaters, nonprofit movie theaters, and I'm going to reopen them soon. And I've told people in town that you have to be vaccinated in order uh, to uh, come in to this movie house. A movie house has no windows. There's no, no such thing as, I mean, I'm, I'm installing right now, which is costing a lot of money, uh, a new filtering, not just a, not really, I shouldn't call it a filtering system. It's a fresh air system. I'm, I'm bringing in fresh air constantly now uh, and taking it right back out. And it has to go through this super 
superheater or in the summer a super cooler so my utility bills are going to go way up um but nonetheless i'm doing everything i can do to have fresh air in that theater but i don't want people in there uh, and i want people coming to the theater knowing the other people they're sitting there with in the theater are vaccinated um i haven't gotten any any pushback yet i kind of i expected it but it, it hasn't happened but uh do you think i'm wrong uh requiring at least for now uh that people have to show their vaccination card you know, I think this is going to be really important. Um, and I've, it's interesting. I've been having a lot of conversations with businesses, especially the general counsel of businesses who want to have vaccine mandates. What's holding them back is the fact that they've not been formally um, approved. They're still released under emergency use, and they see that as a problem. I, I don't really see the problem, but they, they seem to see it as a problem. So that seems to be what's holding them back. And I, I don't, you know, the FDA is now talking about January before it's fully approved. I, I would have thought they could have moved faster on this since they knew it was coming. So I don't, I don't know exactly what the issue is. Am I there. wrong to require that people be vaccinated to come into my theater? Because you know what? The hamburger joint down the street, he has a sign that says no shirt, no shoes, no service. And nobody complains about their constitutional rights to eat dinner in front of other people with their shirt off. And the bookstore, you mentioned the bookstore, the bookstore down the street doesn't allow cigarette smoking. Isn't that strange? Don't we have a constitutional right to smoke a cigarette in a bookstore? No. Yeah, yeah you have no argument No argument from me. Um, it, it's just, it's interesting. A lot. Well, I think a lot of the big corporations are the ones who are skittish. Because why? They don't want to upset the ignorant? Well, I think it's, I, well, also I, I think, you know, what I'm hearing from a few of the big organizations is they have a lot of unfilled positions right now, as is. And so if they have to lay off a substantial segment of the workforce, you know, whether it's 5% or 10%, they're a little worried about how they actually run the business, that which is kind of interesting. So I didn't realize that there's so many open jobs right now. So that, and I don't know what's going on there. Well, yeah. Well, there are a lot of there are a lot of people that work in hospitals that are not vaccinated. It's just there's there are apparently practicalities that are making businesses skittish about doing it. Maybe it's because we're a nonprofit. We're not in the business of making money. But look, if I'm going into you know my special needs daughters likes to go to movie theaters, and we're telling her no because there's too much COVID. So. Um, but we're saying there's still a lot of COVID transmission. So, but if we knew that theater where everybody was vaccinated, yeah, we'd feel a lot better about that. If Michael Moore could guarantee you, because I have made sure that um, we've checked their cards, we know they're real, they're not fake, people in that theater are vaccinated, and I'm going to continue to uh, stick with social distancing. We have 600 seats in our theater. It's no problem whatsoever to have people sit in their own clusters or their family or whatever. And, and be far enough away from other people, hopefully, to not come down with COVID. I'm, I want to I do these things. I want people to know that they can come and see a movie. And generally, I mean, I guess there's no guarantees in life, but as they say. Right, right. But nonetheless, um, I, will re I will do my best to reduce your risk by making sure that the people in there are, are not going to infect you and you are not going to infect them. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. It's I, I think it's terrific. But you know, now you know, here in this part of the country, boy, it's really tough now to do this. It's um well we've got in executive orders, if you're a public organization, you you can't enforce vaccine mandates. Yeah. It almost makes you want to move move to Texas and open a theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do I what do you say to parents then? Uh, it's okay, kids go back to school in September. Should they wear a mask inside uh, Dr. Fauci and, and uh, says uh, they uh, should? Uh, World Health Organization says yes. CD says, says no. Well, what I say, if they're over the age of 12, get if, if they're over the age of 12, make sure they're vaccinated and um, make certain they have a mask if they're over the age of two and you don't have special needs that prevents them from wearing a mask. And let's hope for the best. I think that's about all we can. Because a lot of school districts now are not going to offer remote learning. So, right. And, and I, look, I understand the importance of, I mean, as I say, I've been a parent of four adult kids now. When the kids were little, I, no, no one understood the importance of in-person classes more, more than I did or my wife yeah. Anne. But, um, so I think that's great that we're doing that. And I just wish we had done a better job vaccinating people across the South to do this more safely. What can we do? Seriously, what can we do 
to convince people to come on, folks, come on, let's do this. You must have put a lot of thought into this, that there's got to be a way to to bring most good people along. Even though we may disagree on some things, we can agree on this. This is, I don't know, which uh, maybe it was the head of the CDC the other day said, we're in a phase now where this is preventable. This is preventable. Biden has said this, you know, just all you got to do. Yeah, pretty much Pretty much nobody has to be, except for kids under the age of 12, and pretty much everybody who's hospitalized or in an ICU from COVID is there by choice because they chose not to get vaccinated. It's horrible to say, but that is, that is the reality. So trying to reach people and explain to them why, even if you're young and healthy and fit, it's not a substitute for virus neutralizing antibodies from vaccination and and the the key is to, you know, the 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 people on the right, and, and again, it's not fun for me to talk about. Have somehow sent a message that your allegiance to the political right um, is somehow linked to not being vaccinated, and and we've got to break that. I mean, you know, as I point out, the GOP was not historically anti-science. I mean, Lincoln started the. National Academy of Sciences, Eisenhower started NASA, George W. Bush stopped, launched PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. I mean, there's nothing intrinsically anti-science about the Republican Party. I don't know that where this comes from. It's just bizarre, and it's it's an aberration. And, and explaining that to people, and, you know, usually if I have enough time with someone, you can eventually walk, walk them back, but it's labor-intensive, and I don't know how you do that times tens of millions of people. I mean, I think the estimates are there are still 50 million Americans, five zero, who could be vaccinated but are not. And that's, that's, you know, that's the critical piece to all of this. So why has Fox, the anchors on Fox this week, changed their tune and are telling people now to get vaccinated? You know, I think the other misplaced piece of this is everyone points fingers at two of the nighttime anchors, uh, Laura Ingram goes after me and Tucker Carlson. And I say, look, this is not Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram. This is an executive decision, right? Yeah. At the leadership of Fox News. I say, well, you know, you, you talk about Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram like they're after work, they're, you know, debating 18th century enlightenment philosophy. I mean, you know, you've got to stop treating them like they're the committee on social thought at the university of Chicago. This is, this is um, this is an executive. They're doing what they're told from the leadership, and and it's not just Fox. There's it's News Corp Holdings right. too, which is also owned by the Murdochs that are putting a lot of anti-vaccine disinformation. If you look at the Wall Street Journal opinion section, it's it's a horror show. So, um, you know that's causing a lot of damage. So maybe somebody in the Biden administration got to the leadership of Fox and News Corp. You know that's one possibility. Um, and then, you know, reining in those members of Congress who, you know, the craziness from the CPAC conference, I mean, that was so damaging, you know, saying that, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene saying vaccines are nothing more than a political instrument of control. I mean, my God, I mean, this is, this is the kind of stuff they're putting out there and people believe yeah. it. So these people have a lot of influence and I think that we have to, that we have to figure out a way to halt. Well, any last words uh, to people who are listening uh, to this? Well, the key is to, you know, if you're vaccinated, you're you're going to be chances are you're going to be fine. And if you're um and everyone in your family's vaccinated and your level of community transmission is not high, you know, all of those are good things. Um but, you know, trying to get the rest of the country on the same page in terms of vaccination levels, we can still vaccinate our way out of this epidemic in the United States. And, and we can vaccinate our way out of this pandemic if we could scale up and get everybody vaccinated. And, and for me, it's, you know, be the two forces that I'm fighting is the, the three headed Gadira monster um, that's, that's pushing hard on disinformation that's hurting the country and and the world world now and this lack of uh situational awareness of why we need to vaccinate the entire world and why this won't go well if we don't vaccinate the whole planet and 
and you have to stop with these 2023 timelines. We need to do this now. And we can, right? I mean, and, you know, then I get, and then I, and I've been pushing on the Biden administration to do that. And the, the answer I always get back is, why does, why does the U.S. have to lead? And the answer is because, the, you know, I'm, a, I'm still an old-fashioned patriot, which is, you know, when the world needs to get things done, if the U.S. doesn't lead it, it tends not to get done. And that's how we defeated fascism in World War II. It's how we won the Cold War. It's how we, you know, made a big dent in HIV-AIDS because Amer- there was American leadership there, and this is what we have to do. Well, thank you for what you do, Dr. Peter Hotez, in terms of both the helping to invent a, a new and affordable vaccine for people in the third world, um, for all the work you do there at Texas Children's Hospital, uh, for the books that you've written, um, and for standing up uh, to the anti-vaxxers, um, people who otherwise um, <laughs> would be really good people and are good people, but I just, but somewhere they they went went off the wagon somewhere and and uh, and look, I understand you should be skeptical, always skeptical of what a pharmaceutical dump company is telling you or what the government's telling you or whatever. That's a good thing, but um, but then you do your research and you do your reading. And you you assess it, and then hopefully you come you come down on the side of science, um, and not see science in this case as the enemy. Um, so I encourage everyone who's listening, if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, to please do so uh, as soon as uh, the kids under twelve can get vaccinated. Let's get them vaccinated, um, and um, it doesn't hurt to wear a mask if you can bear doing that. You're only making it easier on yourself and others. So. I applaud you if, if you are, are continuing uh, to do that. And uh, and thank you, Dr. Hotez, for everything that you've done and, and for being a truth teller. Well, thank you, Michael. You know, you've been all along one of my inspirations for, for exactly that. And, uh, you, you know, your work has given me a lot of courage to do these kinds of things. So I'm very grateful to you and your decade-long commitment. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. And don't worry about those so-called patriot groups. Uh, you know, <laughs> they haven't found me after 30 years. You know, you're, you're going to be okay. Well, thank you, Michael. Again, deeply appreciative for all your inspiration and your, your help. I deep, I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. And thank you, all of you. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Rumble uh, today on this very important uh, topic that is still with us and will be with us until we all come together and do what needs uh, to be done. Uh, Many thanks. Thanks to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our um, uh, sound engineer, Nick Quaz, and to everybody else who helps me with this podcast. It's all greatly, greatly appreciated. And uh, we'll be back next week with Rumble with Michael Moore. I'm Michael Moore, and have a good week.